10 Speed and Brown Shoe won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Better, Better Off Dead. Woof, baby. We should be doing a one crazy <laughs> summer show I today. Know, it's like I 110 know. degrees here. And it's, it's sunny, hellish hot, Southern California. Hot, hot, hot. It's going to be hot for a long time. Thanks for the weather report. Yeah, it's a sunny 110 degrees here it in California. might uh, still be 110 degrees by the time the one crazy <laughs> summer episode happens. We're all melting here. Uh, be sure to turn on your air conditioning and drink lots of water and hydrate. Okay, and here is uh, Starship with We Built This City. <laughs> Take yourself back to 1985. Yeah. January 7th, Janet Jackson files for divorce from singer James DeBarge, four months into a secret marriage. Ooh, and that was the merging of the Jacksons and the DeBarges, two of the greatest musical what? families. Yeah, DeBarge. Was it DeBarge was a, yeah. was a big thing, too? DeBarge. I you don't. remember DeBarge? Yeah, no, 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 no. I remember DeBarge. Yeah. I didn't realize he was part of a family. Oh, yeah. The De- that DeBarge was a family, like the Jackson Five. They wow, just I didn't no number idea. themselves. I didn't know. I just know James DeBarge. Yeah, and there's also the other DeBarge. That they did the solo debars. They were more like the. the oh, I thought Bee-Gees. that was. The, I thought that was him. Okay, never mind. No, right. this guy was from Debarge. Oh, oh. I just want to keep saying Debarge. It's like Devry, the Debarge she, school of. He was like three years older than her, and they started dating when she was like sixteen, and got married when she turned eighteen. And she says she has gone on record saying it was the most stressful time of her life. Yeah. Well, because no one could know about it, and yeah. June 15th, Studio Ghibli, the animation studio behind beloved animated classics like My Neighbor Totoro and Kiki's Delivery Service, is founded in Tokyo. Nice. Yeah. And they all rode in on, like, these giant houses <laughs> on turtles. <laughs> That's how they built this factory. Yeah. furry birds. Yeah. It was really, it's a very, it was they have a footage of it being built. It's spectacular. Yeah. yeah, Miyazaki himself is actually an animated person. I don't know if you knew this. He's I not did. A, a real person. Yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, I mean, he's real, but he's animated. He's really animated. <laughs> <laughs> July 19th, New Hampshire teacher Krista McAuliffe is selected as the first person to go into space under the Teacher in Space Project and designated to ride aboard the Space Shuttle Challenger. You had to put that one in, huh? Better off dead. Oh, man. Oh, too soon. Uh, <laughs> too soon. It's yeah, back I to did. School time I did too. have to put it back in there. I know. I'm sorry. I get it. But I'm yikes. sorry. I know. I know. Well, the thing is, is I found out she was from New Hampshire. I thought she was from Oklahoma. Because Phoebe told me that they named the, her elementary school after her. And I'm I was sure like, a lot of elementary I just schools. assumed she was from the area. She's like I, the you know. martyr teacher. You know? I, well, she, yeah. It was an she, uh, awful time. It was yeah. awful. Yeah, let's relive that all horrible right. day <laughs> of infamy. Okay, look, man. <laughs> the movie was all about dark comedy. Well, yeah, look, I, I get it. We're bringing the audience down to the nadir <laughs> so we can pop them back up with the yeah. funny. Yeah, okay, exactly. Good job. Exactly. August 23rd, Better Off Dead is released in theaters. Better Off Dead. Uh, about you. Yeah, Elizabeth Daly is so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Better off dead. Without you. Something without you. Yeah. <laughs> I like that you don't really get the words totally. No, That's great. I don't. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I, we all understood. Uh, Better off dead starts with the writer and director Savage Steve Holland. SSH, baby. SSH. Uh, he received the nickname Savage from kicking a kid in the teeth while playing soccer as a child. Yeah. Bullying was rewarded in the 70s. And, uh, may, you know, it's like yeah. you'd get, you, you would get respect. For hurting people, 
I remember I told the story about when I beat that bully Jack with my metal lunchbox to the point where he oh, ran yeah, away crying. Yeah, yeah. That was a horrifying cool. attack, but I got mad respect after that. <laughs> he grew up in Connecticut, was an avid skier. He studied animation at the California Institute of the Arts, where one of his student projects in 1980, Going Nowhere Fast, was exhibited at the Museum of Modern Art show Tomorrowland, Kyle Arts and Moving Pictures. Impressive. Yeah. And strangely, this sounds a little bit like... A character in the movie. Yeah, most of Better Off Dead is autobiographical of Savage Steve Holland. In high school, Holland's girlfriend really did break up with him. She really did start dating the captain of the ski team, and he really did contemplate suicide. I went to the garage and put an extension cord on a pipe, and I'm on a garbage can, and I'm thinking, should I do this? Maybe it isn't a good idea. Anyway, it was a plastic garbage can, and my weight just, like, crushed through it, and I fell. And the pipe broke, and it starts pouring water everywhere, and I'm basically in a garbage can drowning, and my mom comes in and starts yelling at me for breaking a pipe, which is, you know, what any mom would do, so I start writing down stupid ways to kill yourself that would fail after that, and put them in a sort of a diary, and that diary kind of became... Better off than... Holland picked up an 8mm camera and started making moody, depressing videos showcasing his broken heart. When showing, like, yeah, exactly. Uh, when showing his films to his friends, it had the opposite effect. They thought it, they were comedies and couldn't stop laughing at his videos. Yeah, because there's nothing more ridiculous than teen angst, I, except trying to express it. I would a hundred percent be one of those laughing, uh, thinking I would be thinking it was a joke. Well, same, yeah. same. Oh, poor oh. kid. But you know, he realized that he had a talent for that. So you know. Good for him for for pivoting instead of actually killing himself for being Wallowing. misunderstood, yes. Holland wrote the script for Better Off Dead and storyboarded the entire project before ever selling it. That's when your uh, drawing comes in handy. That is true. It is, it's impressive when you go and show people your drawings. He knew exactly how he wanted the film to look, including the animated and claymation sequences. Nice. Uh, Henry Winkler was actually instrumental in getting this film made because of his connection to John Cusack. Hey, I'm the fans. <laughs> in the early 1980s, Savage Steve Holland's short film, My 11-Year-Old Birthday Party, played at the Los Angeles Film Festival. Winkler saw the film and took a liking to Holland. Hey, I like your film. You're pretty cool. <laughs> uh, have you seen it? Neither have I. No, I don't know if it's available anywhere. You know, it might be on one of the DVDs, like a special. Oh, you know what? I, it might be. Actually, now that you say that, that sounds familiar. Because, you know, our least favorite director in the world, Brett Ratner, <laughs> uh, his uh, award-winning film, What Happened to uh, Mason Reese, Mason is Reese, on yeah. one of the special editions of the Oh, yeah. With like Rush Hour or yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah. John Cusack was cast as Lane Meyer, the uh, sad sack. Hey, Lane. <laughs> Steve You're a pig. <laughs> Cusack made his acting debut in the 1983 movie Class. Class was a dramedy directed by Louis John Carlino, starring Rob Lowe, Jacqueline Bissett, Cliff Robertson, jo- Joan Cusack, and Alan Ruck. Yeah. So Class is about. Two kids who basically bang each other's moms. Really? Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to be so crass with my uh, <laughs> well, description. We're but, bringing the comedy back. <laughs> but yeah, I think the whole thing is they're supposed to seduce each other's moms, but one of it works oh, too they were well. Like and a, they're a competition. Something like that. It was wow, some stupid prep school thing with pretties. Sounds awesome. And, you know, these beautiful women. Well, that and would make sense like, with Rob Lowe and Jacqueline Bissett. Yeah, and I think, well, I think Jacqueline Bissett was his mom? I'm oh, not really? sure. I mean, it would, you know, because they kind of look alike. You know, he, Was Joan Cusack the other mom? 
Joan Cusack was a kid back then. You forget, she was a little girl. I know, she was in her early 20s. Uh, um, she was fantastic, don't get me wrong. But yeah, I mean. Yeah, but so class is a weird. It's weird. Thing. It's worth saying. It's okay. just one of those weird kind of pseudo-sex comedies that came out back then. Yeah, yeah, it was a big thing. That was kind of, uh, it was controversial and a little racy, but if you yeah. look at it now, it's sort of quaint and a little bit uncomfortable. Right, right. So in addition to being Lowe's second film released four months after The Outsiders, uh, jo- Joan Cusack's third film and Alan Ruck's second film, it also marked the film debuts of Andrew McCarthy, Virginia Madsen, and Casey Shemechko. Is that how you say his name? Semechko. Yeah. Simcho. Sim, Simachko. That's what it is. Shemachko, right? I think it's Simachko. Simachko? Yeah. We love him from Three uh, O'Clock High. Watch. Watch. Yeah. Watch yeah. it. Watch it. Watch, watch it. Stare at the screen while you listen to it. Listen to our Three O'Clock High episode. If you haven't seen that movie, go watch it now. Underrated gem of the 80s. Totally fits in with, if you want to do a great double feature. Oh, yeah. yeah one crazy. Yeah. Oh, the, the best would be. Better off dead in one crazy summer. Sure, sure. It's perfect. But three o'clock high definitely fits into yeah, that. With either one. Yeah. So For his second role, Cusack was cast in John Hughes' debut Sixteen Candles. As the the nerdy nerd. The two nerds that got put the in the nerds, trunk. Yeah. And yeah. they're like, Oh, what are you doing? Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Hey, oh, hey. <laughs> After that, Cusack was in Grandview, USA, a 1984 dramedy directed by Randall Kleiser and starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Patrick Sweezy, C. Thomas Howell, Jennifer Jason Lee, Carol Cook, Ramon Bieri, Joan Cusack, M. Emmett Walsh, Michael Winslow, Troy Donahue, and Steve Dahl. I find it interesting because I've literally never heard of this movie. I have. It used to play all the time. Oh, was on it one of those? That cable. Just, yeah. I know I've seen it. I cannot for the life of me remember anything about it except for the picture on the front, which was, I think, like a trailer park with C. Thomas Howell or something. I think C. Thomas Howell was kind of the main guy I'm thinking. But strangely enough, a lot of these guys were in uh, Red Dawn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And are we talking Michael... Michael Winslow, the yes, yes, yeah, he had it. He did have a career before uh, Police Academy. Was he a voice guy? In the, I don't remember. I don't know. It'd be weird if he was like the sheriff or something. Or yeah, you know. <laughs> he was just he was just the neighbor. Like this was the movie that he got hit in the face, and somehow because of what happened to his lips and teeth, he's able to make the most amazing noises <laughs> ever. It's like an origin story of Michael Winslow. It's like the pitcher movie, the the rookie of the year, or whatever, where he breaks yeah. his arm and then can throw a hundred mile an hour. That yeah. is loosely based on the Michael, <laughs> Michael Winslow story. Michael story. Yeah. Kicked in the face by a horse, yeah. and suddenly he's the greatest Aww, voiceover man. actor. Cusack caught his big break by being cast in 1985's The Sure Thing, co-starring Daphne Zuniga, directed by Rob Reiner and produced by Henry Winkler. Such a charming movie. We're going to do – the reason why we picked these movies – and, oh, by the way – uh, we added an extra movie because yes. we didn't realize there's uh, an extra <laughs> week in this month. So there's a bonus Cusacky, Hot Pursuit, yeah. which adds, you know, because it's another wacky one. What we're do- we we want to save the sure thing for like the romantic Cusack. Because it's not, but, it doesn't quite fit in with yeah. these other movies. It goes better with Say Anything yeah. and, yeah. you know, more his, of his mainstream his kind of dramedies. Comedies. Yeah. yeah. Henry Winkler suggested to Savage Steve Holland to check out Cusack in the sure thing. Hey, <laughs> Steve. Oh. You gotta check out John A. Dynamite. <laughs> After seeing the movie, Holland thought that Cusack was perfect for the lead role. He actually had a fight to get Cusack cast, as the studio didn't think he was much of a leading man based on his nerdy turn in Sixteen Candles. Um, I've, we've just seen him play a nerd, so that's all we can see. <laughs> um, so he's a nerd to us. To me, I don't see him playing a leading role. It's amazing how executives have no imagination at all. <laughs> I don't have any imagination at all. 
when I play with my children, I just basically watch them and tell them that life is extremely disappointing. <laughs> Thank you, Bob, the executive, for yeah. stopping by. Oh, Bob. He's our, yeah, he comes in every once in a while to... To remind us just how awful <laughs> yes. executives are. Uh, according to Savage Steve Holland, John Cusack hated this movie and walked out of the film after 20 minutes during a special screening prior to the start of production on One Crazy Summer, their second collaboration. Holland said... The next morning, Cusack basically walked up to me and was like, You know, you tricked me! Better off dead was the worst thing I ever seen, and I'll never trust you as a director ever again. So don't speak to me. He was just really upset, and I said, "What happened? What's wrong?" And he just said that I sucked, and that it was the worst thing that he had ever seen, and that I had used him and made a fool out of him, and all this other stuff. Oh, I was so out of left field that it just floored me. Cusack completed principal photography on One Crazy Summer due to contractual obligations, but if it had not been for this, Cusack likely would not have done One Crazy Summer. Oh, if I didn't have that contract, oh, I wouldn't have done this. Oh, you make I... me so mad, Savage Steve Holland. Oh, I want to put you. It just blows my mind because he's created One Crazy Summer. Yes. Uh, yes, because, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's, he's incredible. But he's a young man. And a young, headstrong man. Yes. And a young, headstrong man with a lot of creativity and smarts. Sure. But as a young man thinking this is going to break him out into the leading, you know, from nerd right. to leading man, right. he probably didn't see it for what it was, which was a really great comedy and an amazing, right. bef- amazing, vulnerable performance. Oh, he was fantastic. You know, it was more like, oh, you made me look like a weenie. Right. You know, right. How, I'm never going to get another leading yeah, role. Yeah. So I think it was more just fear of what he looked like instead of. Because he later liked, he, he did the he movie. did yeah despite his initial initial hatred of the film as well as director Savage Steve Holland Cusack admitted in a 2013 interview that he does not hate the film or the making of it while he wishes some things in it were better he stated he feels that way about every movie he has made and is happy that it achieved cult status and remains popular and I'm sure the fact that he keeps getting royalty checks doesn't yeah, help cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> um, but I you know I get it it's like it's hard as a young actor and it's got and back then too yeah like, yeah. It's the 80s. So, you know, either you're Tom Cruise Top Gun, you right, know, or right. you're, you know, the, the guy from uh, Too Close for Comfort, you know, <laughs> playing the neighbor, you know. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. You get I mean, pigeonholed. It's like, no, totally. And I, and I get it. And, and I'm sure that he, he probably thought that, you know, with the sure thing, you know, he was a lead in that and it was going to be great. And right. it's like, hey, it's another leading part. Like, he's not going to say no, but no, like, but I think Hot Pursuit was kind of a, a reaction to these movies for him. Like, yeah. I've got to do something more action-y or something a little right. more, you know, I'm leading sure he, Manny. I'm sure he saw himself as, like, if Tom Cruise is getting these parts, why can't I? Sure, but then I think, you know, with Say Anything, he realized who he was and what his niche was. And he was, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not going to speak for him because I am not him. But, uh, sure, sure. But I understand what it's like to be a young actor. And he's had an amazing career. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's It hasn't – this certainly has not hurt his career no, at all. No, it's only helped it. Yeah, yeah. They cast David Ogden Steers as Al Meyer, uh, the father. Steers made his feature film debut doing voiceover as the announcer in the first feature from George Lucas, THX – 1138. Welcome to THX 1138, everybody. Don't forget to get your souvenirs and your snacks. We're going to watch some really good robot racing. I didn't know that was him. 
I no, had no it, idea. It was that's him. not what he says, by the way. It's I know not, that's not what he says, but right. I, I just, just didn't realize it was him. <laughs> go into THX saying it's some weird robot race. <laughs> no, no, it is definitely not robot racing. It's a very dystopian. Uh, there's not a lot of dialogue at all. No, back when uh, George Lucas was kind of an activist, a lot of yeah. his stuff was really uh, deep. It's a great movie. It's a fantastic. It movie. is. Uh, David Ogden Steers was the judge at a, a National Shakespeare. Uh, monologue competition that I did. Oh, wow. At the Old Globe Theater in San Diego. Oh, wow. Cool. Nicest guy in the world. Nice. That's awesome. Oh, I always like hearing when the actors that you like are good. Oh, he's a sweetheart and super uh, passionate about Shakespeare. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he started as a Broadway actor, so it doesn't surprise me. But just a lovely, at least back then, a lovely, lovely, yeah. lovely human being. And and you can only imagine how annoying I was in this <laughs> movie. So. Even lovelier. Yeah. <laughs> So he did. Uh, he he started doing guest spots on TV shows like Mary Tyler, Mary Tyler Moore Show, Kojak, and Rhoda. He also appeared in the pilot of Charlie's Angels. Uh, his breakout was being cast as Major Charles Emerson Winchester III on the TV show Mash. Charles Emerson Winchester. Yeah, unfortunately, kind of the beginning of the decline of Mash. Yeah, uh, yeah. Not because of him at all. He was great. I, the irony um, is that he was still on for like six years. Oh yeah, <laughs> but well, it, yeah, Mash had us. It, 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 it tortured for, us for six years of just yeah, you know, Alan Alda, hard <laughs> on his sleeve, just giving it his all, all out that that there. No more funnies. <laughs> um, Mash was great. Mash was a great show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it did it definitely got long in the tooth by the end. Oh yeah. Uh, Steers has made appearances in The Cheap Detective in 1978, the quasi-sequel to Murder by Death. Sure, sure, excuse me, sure. Yeah, check out our Murder by Death episode. Oh, yeah, it's magic. And speaking of magic, <laughs> he starred in Magic, the 1978 psychological horror movie directed by Richard Attenborough, written by William Goldman. Oh, baby, such a good movie. I've never seen it. You haven't seen no, it? No, I've never seen it. Oh, my God, man. Uh, one of the first performances by Anthony Hopkins. No the way. creepy dummy. Uh, that's the one, right? Yeah, Magic yeah, with yeah, the, yeah. He's yeah. the guy that he's the ventriloquist with oh. the baby that comes to life. Ooh, creepy! Okay. We're gonna put that on our Halloween list. Okay, creeps. yeah, 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 for sure. That sounds great. Uh, he also was in The Man with One Red Shoe in 1985, starring Tom Hanks and Dabney Coleman, which came out actually earlier that summer before Better Off Dead. Not that great a movie. I just want to point out, I just yeah. squealed. You did. I don't. You were I don't think I've ever squealed. I'm extremely is, excited. You squealed over the movie Magic. I know. Weird. I'm. I'm. Uh, it's ironic. I'm how much growing. You, how much you hate magic? I'm surprised. I do. Well, I don't. I just hate magicians. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're all full of themselves. <laughs> their tuxedos and their flourishes. <laughs> Steers appeared prominently in the 1980s in the role of District Attorney Michael Reston in several Perry Mason television films and voiced a number of Disney characters during the 90s and 2000s, most notably Cogsworth in 91's Beauty and the Beast. Ratcliffe and Wiggins in 95's Pocahontas, Kamaji in 2001's Spirited Away, and Dr. Jumba Jukaba in 2002's Lilo and Stitch, its sequel films in Lilo and Stitch the series. Nice. He had a huge voiceover career. He appeared in television again on the supernatural drama series The Dead Zone as Reverend Gene Purdy. Oh, yeah. The, that's the one with... Uh... Uh, Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't bad. It was a good show. Yeah. I didn't watch all of it, but I enjoyed it. Neither did I, but same. Yeah. Steers continued to contribute voice work for films and television productions in his later years, narrating M. Night Shyamalan's Lady in the Water and having a recurring role on the animated series Regular Show. Nice. Steers spent his later years as a conductor of the Newport Symphony Orchestra. The man is amazing. Yep. <laughs> Unfortunately, he passed from complications related to bladder cancer in 2018. F cancer, man. Yeah. 
Such a loss. He was such a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. He sounded like somebody that I would love just to hang out with, talk to. He sounds like he's great stories. Oh, yeah. Diane Franklin was cast as Monique Junot, the mysterious French foreign exchange student. Franklin attended college for one year before dropping out to become a professional actor. Mm. Early in her acting career, Franklin appeared in TV commercials for Coca-Cola, Trident, Jell-O, and Maxwell House Coffee. <laughs> nice. <laughs> At the age of 17, she appeared in two episodes of As the World Turns, which aired in October of 1979. Her breakthrough role was as Karen, Karen! in the 1982 teen drama film The Last American Virgin. Oh, such a deceptively... That movie, like... I remember getting that movie, like renting that movie as a kid and thinking, oh, here's another crazy porkers teen sex comedy. Nope. <laughs> that movie is deep. Oh, and yeah. Do you remember last time? I've never seen it. Oh, my goodness. I don't, well, I should say, if I did, I don't remember. It has, like, the most realistic, like, abortion wow. situation going on there. Look, uh, you have to see it because it's like it crushed me. It's like I went in thinking, "Oh yeah, funny, funny times." <laughs> you know, maybe I get to see some boobies, and then it's just like, "Oh my god!" At the end of it, I wanted to kill myself. It was so. Uh, it was just. It's a good movie. It was deep. It was. It was very. Uh, it was surprising. Interesting. I don't. I don't think I've seen it. I definitely yeah. would remember an abortion scene. No, it's because it's like. Okay, spoiler alert for a movie that's a million years old, but. Sh- it's basically this kid loves this girl. You know, it's mm-hmm. friends. It's like friend zone city. Yeah, yeah. And she ends up, you know, she, of course, loves the a-hole or whatever. Yeah, And yeah, he ends yeah. up using her and get her in her preggers. Ugh. And so then best friend Bobby McGee has to take her in for the for the procedure. Abortive. Yeah. And it's just like, it's so effed up. And it's just like, and then everything that happens afterwards is just so effed up. And just, But it's real. It's like. Somebody kind of tapped into what it's really like, and it <laughs> oh, sucks. Man. So, but I wow. definitely recommend it. All right, all right. And, she, and she's amazing. At she's it. great. In it. And surprisingly, yeah. she's not French. I know it's shocking because not French. I've seen her in so many. She's French so often. Uh, that same year, 1982, she played Patricia Montelli in the horror film Amityville 2: The Possession. Uh, she was given top billing in her next film, the 1984 erotic comedy film Second Time Lucky. Yeah, I don't remember. I that don't one. remember that at all. Uh, as a promo for the movie, Franklin had her manager contact Dodger Stadium to see if they'd be interested in having her do an autograph signing, signing since, you know, the movie ends in Dodger Stadium. and Oh, the Better, better Off, off Dead. Dead. Okay, sorry, for sorry. Better Off Dead, not for the erotic thriller yeah. or whatever. <laughs> no, it's, really? No, yeah, Better Off Dead uh, ends in. So they asked her, she, she said, hey, uh, like, let's see if they want to do some kind of collaboration. And she said, I just kind of thought it would be fun for people because if they saw the movie and I was at Dodger Stadium, it'd be kind of like be a fun venue for everyone to come see me there. Uh, The ballpark said no to a signing, but asked her to sing the national anthem. What was unusual about that was when they introduced me, I thought they were going to say, and here's Diane Franklin from Better Off Dead, or here's Diane Franklin from Bill and Ted or something. And they wound up saying, and here's Diane Franklin. And I'm thinking... Who knows Diane Franklin? Nobody knows who I am. It was so funny. Uh, I just do want to point out that if it was to promote Better Off Dead, she hadn't been in uh, Bill and Ted yet, so her memory might be a little fuzzy. <laughs> um, she did because it's a time traveling. She 
Yeah. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Bill and Ted's always existed. Adam. That's true. That is true. That is true. Uh, she played Princess Joanna in the 1989 movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and has appeared as an extra or in guest roles in episodes of television series such as Bay City Blues, Matlock, and Family Law. Now, was she the French princess in that or was yes. she the English princess? In I want to say I think she was the French one because I distinctly remember thinking she was French my entire life oh. because of and Better Off Dead and Bill and Ted. You were disappointed when you met her and she was like, hey, hey I on it, how you doing? To be honest, I don't think I've actually heard her without a French accent. I'm Dan Franklin. What's, what's up with you? I want to go. Hey, you like poker? I like poker. Make, make the last American version much different movie. Hey, yeah, that's what she's like. Hey, come on. Hey, hey, time to go get abortion. Let's hey, go. Come on, give me the gabbity. Let's go. Uh, she also appeared in three television films, including a role as Jock Ewing's first wife in the 1986 film Dallas, The Early Years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In 1989, she married Ray De Laurentiis, an animation writer for shows such as The Fairly Odd Parents, and has had two children. I don't think he's related to the De Laurentiis clan at all. Really? Yeah, I know. I try to find information of, like, oh, maybe he's his son or something. but Maybe he just doesn't telegraph that. He, oh, that's you know, he uses the name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she's also published two memoirs and continues to act... Uh, she's fantastic in this movie. Ah, she's she's so great. Movie. And it's great that she's still working, and she's funny, and she's cute, and she's crappy. She doesn't really look any different. It's really funny. It doesn't look like she's aged hardly at all. Yeah, that's what happens with tiny people. They just <laughs> continue to be tiny and cute until the day they die. <laughs> Kim Darby was cast as Jenny Meyer, the mother who can't cook. To start, French fries. French bread. And French dressing. And to drink... Peru! <laughs> Darby began acting at age 15. Her first appearance was as a dancer in the film Bye Bye Birdie in 1963. Bye Bye Birdie. Uh, she was part of, her original uh, last name was Zerby, and she was part of some, like, Hungarian, like, dance troupe. Interesting. But, like, dancing Zerbies or something. It was interesting. Uh, her television work included Gunsmoke, Bonanza, and as a young girl reaching adulthood on an all-child all planet in the haunting, renowned Miri episode of the original Star Trek series. If you remember that episode. Yeah. yeah. I guess. I think it's been a while. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I've never watched the original Star Trek series. What? I know. I know. Oh, my God. Every Our time I bring Squire it up, is going to come punch you I in know, the face. I know. Among her many films are True Grid in 1969, in which she played Maddie Ross, a 14-year-old when she was 21. She was so good. It was and, so good in that movie, yeah. And, and, and John Wayne, too, you know, yeah. was so good in that. I think he won an Oscar for that. I believe he did, yeah. Uh, it was either that or the sequel, but I think it was that. I think it was the first, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I always, I totally, for years, I did not know that was her. Oh, really? It was the same actress. Because same, she's yeah. so funny in Better... She's one of the funniest parts of Better Off so her. She is so... That character is so defined. And so... Just like there's... It's the most unforgiving. Just like, yep, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. She is so earnest. So and funny. so serious about all of her goofiness. It's just magic every time. When she's like given... The Christmas, and she's like, I give you, you'll go into that, but yeah, yeah. it's just like everything about her is just so great. She's so weird. She's just so weird, and it was so dead on. This is what I love about this movie, is that everything is so real, but just slightly off. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and also, like, getting back to David Ogden Steers, his character is great because he's trying to understand his son. Yeah. He's yeah. doing his best to figure out what's going on with him and, and get him on the right path and be a good dad. And, you know, it's like, it's great because a lot of the movies back then were like, Dads that were just dicks, 
you know? Yeah, they were just, it's like, oh, it's the, we're not yeah, there. just a stereotypical, like, oh, they're absent, whatever. Yeah. Like, he actually tried. Yes. Knowing his son was having issues, he's like, well, I'm going to read up. Yeah. I'm going to try to do the hip, cool lingo. <laughs> tried to, like, understand his wife. He was just kind of trapped in a nightmare. <laughs> he was, was his surrounded life. Yeah. by the weirdest people. To imagine his youngest son oh, my never God. spoke. And, yeah. Oh, there's some problematic scenes with that young boy. Oh, so much so. Uh, Kim Darby was also in the Strawberry Statement in 1970, set in the counterculture and student revolts of the 1960s. Ooh. Norwood in 1970, a comedy that reunites Darby with her True Grit co-stars Glenn Campbell, also featuring Joe Namath. Nice. Because why not? Joe Namath was great. He did yeah. a lot of acting he back did. then. He did. Yeah, he wasn't great, but he did I a lot of acting. I was going to say, he wasn't great. He did a lot of acting. That is true. He wore pantyhose. Now, oh. In a commercial. Oh, well, yeah, that's right. I remember that, yeah. yeah. Uh, Norwood was based on the novel, the same title, written by Charles Portis, who also wrote True Grit. Uh, and she was also in The One and Only in 1978, a comedy starring Henry Winkler, hey. directed by Carl Reiner and written by Steve Gordon. Lane's mother's experimental cooking was inspired by Savage Steve Holland's mother, who did the same thing. <laughs> well, it, back then... There was a lot of housewives, I guess you would call them, or people, you know, people staying home, mm -hmm. and you would get bored, and you would get these different magazines that would have recipes and Ugh. such, and then you know just to try something new, and everybody was just like, "Ugh, Jello, just make some meatloaf or something." Things, things suspended in Jello, yeah, or some like, you know, I'm doing the quotes like French cuisine yeah, that really yeah. is, you know, it's basically is French bread and French right, dressing, right. but you know, it's like it would always be some kind of weird. Thing, yeah, exactly. Like uh, containing Jello and ground beef, or some <laughs> bizarre combination that just—it it wasn't good. It was no. not a good time, right? Uh, Savage Steve Holland said about his mother's cooking: My mom would get McCall's magazine, and she would find these recipes and make these things, and have some excuse why they didn't taste good because she forgot something or she didn't have an ingredient. One year for his birthday, she gifted him with some TV dinners. She was like. And I got you these really cool frozen dinners because you like peach cobbler and this one or something. And I was like, wow, really? This is my life? It could be a lot worse, Savage Steve. <laughs> Since Better Off Dead, Darby appeared in Teen Wolf 2 yeah. in 1987 and in Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers in 1995. Amongst other things, she continues to act in film and television. Yeah, yeah, she's great. She's just she's just one of those quirky weirdos that she's keeps on going. She's awesome. She's so good. Her acting, I don't know if in real life. Well, no, a, yes, I think yes. she's in person a quirky weirdo. <laughs> I've never met the the woman. She plays she plays very well. She's yeah. a very good actor. Very yes. good. Curtis Armstrong was cast as Charles DeMar. Yeah. <laughs> his, Booger. His first film role came in 1983's Risky Business. Come on, Tom Joel. Cruise. <laughs> Joel, come on. Let's take the car, Joel. And in fact, Savage Steve Holland cast him uh, as Charles DeMar after seeing him in Risky Business. He was so good in Risky Business. He's my favorite part of Risky Business. Oh, yeah. yeah. He is just so... He's just that friend that is the egger hunter until F... <laughs> The S goes down, and then you know it's like, uh oh, I didn't. I'm not really a part of this. It was just so right. well done. Such a such a good actor, that guy. Oh, he's fantastic. Uh, he is best known for his role as Booger in Revenge of the Nerds and its sequel, Revenge of the Nerds Two: Nerds in Paradise, as well as the two TV movie sequels, 1992's Revenge of the Nerds Three: The Next Generation, and 1994's Revenge of the Nerds Four: Nerds in Love. Nerds in Love. Yeah, those were inferior. To the first one, but uh, really, 
Don't forget. It's a strong, bold statement, Jim. Don't forget he was on Moonlighting as well. With oh, yes, he was. he was. That's one of my favorite parts. Poor guy. So Moonlighting, we're going to do a show on that. But it had a lot of issues with its main stars. Like right. There were a couple of big, big old babies. Right. Big old stinky babies that were making stinks all the time. So they would have to, like, they couldn't shoot because of how awful these two were to each other. So right. they would have to make episodes that were just about Booger and the receptionist, Mrs. Beasley, I think, who ended up becoming a couple or whatever. Uh-huh. And those were like some of the best episodes because you actually <laughs> had people, you know, it was like, I don't know. He was so good on that show. Good in everything he's done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he also appeared in Savage Steve Holland's movies One Crazy Summer in 1986 and How I Got Into College in 1989. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was still act- He's still acting nonstop in TV and movies. He was Metatron and Supernatural. So good. Yeah. It's God's voice. <laughs> His crowning achievement, he's appearing in the upcoming Greta Gerwig film Barbie. Is he playing Barbie? No. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I mean, what's I, her name? Really? Really. I mean, it's Marco, Ro- Margo Robbie. I said Marco. Marco, Marco Robbie. Rubio Robbie. It's Marco <laughs> Robbie. Marco Rubio was actually playing Barbie. Nice. Yeah. 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 Uh, Margo Robbie is. But I, 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 it makes sense. I, it makes me more excited to see Barbie. Amanda Weiss was cast as Beth Truss. Yeah. Weiss started her career in TV, appearing in an episode of Buck Rogers on 25th Century. Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. No, no. Hey guys! Oh, hey! hey. Ah. Uh, Colonel Wilma Darren here, just popping in from the twentieth century, real quick. I just want to say, what a lovely young girl! What a lovely young. Wasn't actress. she? She was nice. Uh-huh. Yeah, great to work with. Uh, I think she even got me a Danish over at Craft Services once. Just a sweetheart, a sweetie pie. Okay, back to the twenty-fifth. All right, thanks, Colonel Wilma Deering. God, well, she hasn't been around in a while. She hasn't, but I'm glad she popped in. Yeah, she must be just listening all the time. <laughs> she did. Well, I mean, she is in the future. Yeah, not a lot to do. She, she's still listening 5,000 episodes later. <laughs> nice. Good to know that we have, we have some longevity. <laughs> show's got some legs in the next five centuries. Eventually, we're just cryogenic heads. Yeah, take it. She, uh, Amanda Weiss made her f- feature film debut in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, she was fantastic in that. Please yeah. listen to our Fast Times episode for more. Yeah, she was uh, Judge Reinhold's girlfriend in mm-hmm. that. She breaks up with him, doesn't he, she? No. no. Well, yes, it's the, well, listen to the show. But yes, yes it's yeah. like he has this whole plan of like breaking up with her and being right. on the make and hot strike because he's the hot super guy. Yeah, yeah. And then it all falls apart. She breaks up with him and he turns That's into a guy right. just masturbating in a bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most perfect summary of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That's tale as old as time. <laughs> She also appeared in the original Nightmare on Elm Street as Freddy's first victim. Ah, you're my first victim. Ah. And apparently Savage Steve Holland is a huge fan because he purposefully put a student in the Freddy sweater in a scene she was in in Better Off Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which he also apparently in uh, uh, How I Got Into College, the, the sweater makes an appearance as well. I think he does it in a couple of things. Yeah. 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 Uh, Amanda Weiss continues to act in TV and film. She's still going strong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Dozier as Ray- Roy Stalin. Wee! Wee! It's really creepy how much you sound like him. <laughs> he bleed. <laughs> He's such he, a dude. It is he is the it is literally the stereotype of oh. the 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 mean douchey bully. I believe he started it. I think the blonde douche I th- rich. probably archetype might have started started with with him. i mean i'm sure it goes back to like 
Barefoot in the Park or whatever that movie is back in the day or Splendor oh, in the yeah. Grass. I don't know. But but still, he was perfect as just that that guy that everybody hates. Oh, yeah, yeah. The second he starts talking, you just want to punch him. Hey, Piggy. Ah, ah. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like, ah. uh, the really weird thing, and I, I tried to find so much information about him. As far as I know, he only has one other credit. He hasn't done anything else. Hey, baby. When, uh, you do, when, you're, when you're perfect out of the gate. I, it's super weird. I, he was in a sitcom in 1985 called Hail to the Chief, starring Patty Duke. I don't know if you remember this. She plays yeah, the uh, president. president. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was rated as the most offensive show of the summer by TV Guide. Why? Because a woman was president? Uh, there was all these things going on. He plays – Dozier plays his son that's like in a sex scandal. Oh. And, and it's like – it was supposed to be like the – I think they were trying to be like a Porky's in your face but like a sitcom on sure. TV. Sure. Like a raunchy comedy yeah. kind of thing and, and it – yeah. Well, I think uh, what I heard was that – Every time he was up for something, Ted McGinley would swoop in and steal it from him. But the curse was, the McGinley curse would ruin your feelings. He's a pretty, pretty man. Yeah. But he'll take you down. He'll take you down. That's true. Uh, Aaron Dozier actually insulted Savage Steve Holland before he auditioned for the role of Roy Stalin. When I came in, I didn't know who Savage Steve was at first. I looked at one guy and said, who's the chubby kid? And turns out, he's the director. Holland remembers Dozier interrupting him as he watched the dailies. All of a sudden, this pompous jerk comes in and say, who's the fat surfer? And I'm like, wow, who's this? And they go, Savage, this is the guy coming in for Roy Stalin. And I'm like, you got the part. You're perfect, baby. And then Fonzie comes in. He's like, good choice. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's exactly how it went down. 100% how it went down. Uh, Damien Slade was cast as Johnny Gasparini, the... I want my two dollars! Two dollars! Two dollars! When 12-year-old Slade auditioned for the role of psychotic paperboy Johnny Gasparini, he wore a leather jacket and looked serious. I approached it as if I was a serial killer with no intention of making it funny. I brought in a headshot of me wearing a leather jacket and looking real and menacing. During the car wash scene, he actually broke the windshield with his newspaper. It was an accident, but I was pretty proud of myself. They had to replace it. It's not easy to crack a windshield with a newspaper, especially when you're a little kid. Hey, <laughs> goo Okay. Hey, it's him, man. <laughs> Slade made an appearance in 1987's Back to the Beach, and that is the last thing that he did. Like, this is why they had to create safety protocols, because they... Put a child yeah. on a car going through a car wash, <laughs> and he bro- he literally broke a real windshield. And that's a child. He's a child, yeah. 12, yeah. Yeah. Savage Steve Holland should be in jail. <laughs> <laughs> Scooter Stevens was cast as Badger Meyer, the little brother. Uh, Stevens did not have a single line in the entire movie. Didn't need one. Didn't need it. <laughs> he was so perfect. He was great. He was absolutely great. Uh, his last acting credit was in 1989's She's Out of Control, starring Tony Danza, Catherine Hicks, Wallace Shawn, and Amy DeLenz. Hey, I'm Tony Danza. Yeah. You know what? I don't know who's the boss. Hey, hey, I'm Fonz. She's Out of Control was one of those movies that was on all the time. Yeah, yeah. That was like... I had a huge crush on Amy DeLenz. Everybody did. She, she was, was so cute. And she, didn't I she wear glasses in that when she like She was a nerdy and then she became yes, hot. Yes, yes. Yeah. She just removed those glasses and it's like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, and you combed it's, your hair. It's like the Clark, 
Kent syndrome. It's like, oh, unrecognizable. Just like she's all that and all them. Stu- hey, as somebody who likes to wear glasses, F off. Glasses make you cute. <laughs> Uh, Yuji Okamoto as Yisukri. Oh, yeah. Okamoto made his feature film debut in Real Genius, which is one of my favorite comedies of all time. Yeah. Have we done that? Nope. Oh, it's coming. It will. We will. Uh, that is that is probably number two, my favorite comedy of all time. He's best known as playing Chosen in The Karate Kid Part 2. Yeah, badass. Oh, yeah. He was so awesome. That. And now he's back in, uh, well, he was in the last season of Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. he's going to be back for the next season. Yeah. Too. Oh, it was so cool to see him again. Yeah, he was great in it, too. He's a great actor. He just had, he was, yeah, he was so funny in this. I just... I know you're going to tell the story, but it just breaks my heart. Go ahead and tell the story. Okamoto was so excited to audition for the role of the Asian brother with the Howard Cosell affectation that he studied every tape of Wide World of Sports he could get his hands on so he could practice and perfect a believable Cosell impression. He had to get videotapes. Hello, this is, you know, and then take it out. I mean, it's not like, you no, know. No, no, it's not just like watching online. YouTube clips. Yeah. yeah. It's work. And he, sometimes those old those old VCRs, man, those t- Oh, yeah, they would pop yeah. up and take they would your eat hand the right tape off. sometime. Yeah. Like, it would, yeah. It was not, it was dangerous business. It was hard. Watching movies. But he was, Some, he was committed. He was committed. He he wanted to, to get this part, and he wanted to perfect this role. So awesome. Uh, knowing his character learned English exclusively through the sports show, he decided to add in an Asian accent to his Cosil voice. Brilliant. Exactly. The producer and director thought it was very funny, and he was given the role. However, in post-production, it was decided to bring an impressionist Rich Little to overdub Okamoto's voice with Little's customary Cassellan imitation imitation without the Asian accent. Uh, Okamoto said... They explained that they wanted to make sure the audience understood the dialogue. It was a little disappointing, but hey, it's their film. Yeah, and he's, uh, he continues to act. He's still in, obviously in a ton of stuff. But um, the way he did uh, it kind of made it sound. It almost sounded like there was a hint of an Asian accent. I, that's what I too. thought, too. And, and, but, it's, but it's Rich Little doing it. And I, but Rich Little did Howard. Everybody does I, Howard Cosell, isn't it? I always thought that it was him. So because, I, because I always thought there was a hint of an Asian accent. And uh, you know what's really you know, weird? Come to come full circle. Mm-hmm. Is you know who is in the booth at the end of One Crazy Summer when it gets blown up? Is it Rich Little? Yep. Rich Little is the, uh, the announcer totally for the radio. About that. Yeah. So he actually gets him in the movie for the next one. <laughs> nice. All right. All Worked right. out good for everybody except for poor Okamoto. Yuji. Yeah. Yeah. Brian Amata uh, was cast as Chen Ri, the brother, the other driver. Uh, Better Off Dead was Amata's acting debut despite having no lines. He's actually a professional stunt actor. He was really funny. He was great. Yeah, he was great. Their reactions. I mean, that was such a great, bizarre little bit. Just like these two. And I love his explanation. He's like, here's one for you. Two brothers. One. (laughs) And it's just like, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it's like their origin story comes out and everything. It's just such a – this is why I love Savage Steve Holland is because he just has this this minutiae. That is so pointless and ridiculous, and yet so germane to the story and so yeah, funny. It's like yeah. nobody does absurd, or nobody was doing absurd like him. No, and no. it's just I miss his type of just wacky. I don't give an f. Let's just be. It's like Looney Tunes and stuff. Yeah, it's like yeah. you don't have to be completely real. It's just I don't know. There, there's something about his movies that are magical. Agreed, hundred percent agreed. Laura Waterbury was uh, cast as Mrs. Smith. 
Uh, Waterbury was a seasoned Broadway actor, also appearing in Inner Space in 1987 and Great Honey, man. I Shrunk the Kids in 1989. Ricky! Hey, Ricky! Come yes. over here! Why don't you come over here and sit next to Ricky? She's ah. so fantastic. Oh, she is just so... I mean, poor Ricky. I understand. You know, I, I 100%, they need to do a Ricky movie. Just call it Ricky. <laughs> where he ends up cutting her head off, becoming a serial killer, and he just keeps her head in like a bowling bag and talks to her. Ricky! Oh, what are you God. doing to those girls, Ricky? 100%. He's and Ricky never says people. anything. No, he no. He keeps it quiet. He's, you know, you know... Mother wouldn't like that. Yeah, but he's just quiet because he doesn't really have a lot of no. lines in the movie. Oh, no, mother no, wouldn't like he that, just yeah. a couple of mother things. Yeah. yeah, but I think we should make Ricky. But he's literally Ricky is like Ed Gein. Like if, yeah. if his mom died, he would start murdering people and burying up, digging up bodies. Probably. Like, he yeah. put his testicles all over me. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, Laura Waterbury passed from Alzheimer's in 2013. Oh, I can't yeah. imagine a worse way to go for yeah. a, somebody who's creative and yeah. uses your brain and She's your mind. So fantastic! Again, so defined as a character. Like, oh yeah, like it's not like the character's deep or anything, but that character is so defined. Well, no, it's like that's why having people like David Ogden Steers and her and a lot of a lot of the Broadway people, lady, yeah, yeah, you know, they they're solid, real good actors, and they're going to define their characters and just play within that playground but they commit 100% yeah, exactly. commit yeah. because this works so well because the characters are all so they're not caricatures no. and they're not stereotypes like the two Asian guys in the car could have been some sort of ridiculous stereotype but it's not yeah. It's like it, yeah. it's totally out of left field. It's so weird, you know. It's, <laughs> it's like, so weird. Yeah, I mean the burger thing. I mean, ugh, all of it. Yeah, it's it, yeah, agreed. Uh, Dan Schneider was cast as Ricky, Ricky Smith. Uh, Schneider appeared in a number of films and TV shows in the eighties, perhaps being most well known for Head of the Class, starring Howard Hessman, and eventually Billy Connolly. Billy Connolly. Yes, yeah. when he took over, I, I really like that. Uh, Billy Connolly's not a leprechaun, player. but uh, <laughs> but I, I love that show. I loved Howard Hessman. Yeah, WKRP was yeah. one of my favorite shows growing up. I just thought he was like the coolest cat, and that was a good show. And he was pretty funny on it. Uh, and uh, um, and Billy Connolly didn't ruin it. It no, was, no, it was, it was fine. I mean, it definitely, I feel like it declined, but it but it was still funny, and it was what good. What happened to Billy Connolly? Didn't Howard Hesman just die around. recently? Uh, Howard Hesman's not alive oh, anymore. Oh, man. But Billy Connolly's still around. He's still kicking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dan Schneider is the co-president of television production company Schneider's Bakery and made uh, What I Like About You for the WB and and All That, The Amanda Show, Drake and Josh, Zoe 101, iCarly, Victorious, Sam and Cat, Henry Danger, Game Shakers, and The Adventures of Kid Danger for Nickelodeon. Damn. Yeah, pretty much every, like, 90s Nickelodeon show was from him. Yeah. Which is crazy. Uh, he also wrote the scripts for the 1997 movie Good Burger. Good Burger. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> I know, I know. It's a great movie. And the 2002 movie Big Fat Liar, which is not a great movie. Do not love that movie <laughs> at all. Uh, Nickelodeon parted ways with him in 2018 over allegations of his well-documented temper and posting pictures of his actor's feet. Gross, 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 gross. Uh, yeah, there's been some allegations. They they did do, Nickelodeon did do an in-depth yeah. uh, uh, investigation into it, and they said that there was no sexual misconduct. No. But uh, he did ask for massages, and but, he did. But he, yeah. yeah, and he did, he had a tendency to send really nasty emails to people and, like, stuff that was like, okay, man. He was a jerk. Yeah. He was a jerk, and he threw his, no pun intended, weight around and yeah. was, yeah. you know, it's just that kind of crap it comes from insecurity. Yeah. And it's like, it, it just ruins we don't, things. And especially, 
especially on kids shows. When you're working with yes, kids, when you're yeah. working with young, impressionable people, teens, like teens and stuff, yeah, there yeah. is no room for that yeah, kind of yeah. nonsense. So agreed, agreed. Bummer, Ricky. He supposedly has a new pilot being made for somebody else. Uh, also, to be fair, he's denied all the allegations. Oh and, yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chuck Mitchell was cast as Rocco. He was the uh, uh, owner of the burger place. <laughs> Mitchell played Porky in the 1981 movie Porky's. Uh, he would reprise the role again in 1985's sequel Porky's Revenge. That dude has never looked more like a part in his. It, like, yeah. it was like he was chiseled out of stone, uh, actually, chiseled out of jello <laughs> to, to, to play that part. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. looks like he comes right out of like 1950s East Texas. You know, yeah. throwing a clan hat on. You know what I mean? It's like he's got that like that look. He just has that villainous Yeah. You know. He actually declined to appear in Porky's two the next day as he would have had have had to appear completely naked in the final scene. Ugh. Well, yeah, and he saved knows. everybody. Thank you. All of our eyesight. It would have been, we would have been like that Jason Momoa series C. That was that would have been the event that it, everybody's Everyone's eyes like, oh would have my God. just shut off. Ah, we're yeah. done. Uh, Mitchell died in 1992 from cirrhosis of the liver at the age of 64. Yeah, he was a drinker. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but such a great, great character actor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Really good. Great. Come here, come here. I mean, it was just funny. He just kept hitting, you know, <laughs> kept bumping into him. Like, ah, such a such a good guy. And, and really played along. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he, he chewed the scenery. Oh, God, it, yes. It, chewing on a cigar on one that side scar. and the scenery on the other, and, and he was awesome to watch. He was great. He was great. The movie also had appearances from Vincent Chiavelli as Mr. Kerber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll remember <laughs> him from Fast Times at Ridgemont High yeah. as the uh, as the biology teacher who takes them to, are you oh, in yeah. my class? Yeah. I am today. <laughs> uh, and I love his scene because I – and this is another, again, Savage Steve Holland – like he's talking about math yeah. and they're just so enraptured. So riveted. And, 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 and they're all like, oh, oh, oh. and this is what I love about this movie. And this is what I love about Savage Steve Holland is because it is from Lane's point of view mm-hmm. where he just feels totally out of place. Sure. And it's like everybody else is loving it. And he's like, I don't understand. What any the hell? This. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like it's so brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it also had Taylor Negron is the mailman. Excuse me, Lane. <laughs> Wouldn't it be weird if I asked? How to, I know, I know you don't know me. I know you don't know me. <laughs> that was the greatest too. Everybody, oh, so gross. Like everybody wanted to ask out his girlfriend. Even the gross, even the teacher, the math yeah. teacher was like, "Hey, <laughs> hey." So I realized <laughs> this is probably uncomfortable, yeah, but super appropriate, <laughs> somewhat inappropriate. Yeah, uh, but Taylor Negron, he's making appearances in everything. I think oh, yeah. he was contractually obligated to appear in all movies in the eighties because everybody loved him. He was such a great underground comedian yeah. and an improviser and just one of those guys that like you they just couldn't figure out how to market him so they would just throw him in stuff and he would just be weird and great yeah he yeah. was in fast times as the pizza delivery guy yeah. he was in I, i'm pretty sure he's in one crazy summer i think oh, i wouldn't be surprised you know i think he was in wasn't was he in three o'clock high maybe i don't know <sighs> i don't I just, remember i think but i yeah. just see him in everything yeah yeah. Because he should be. He should be. And E.G. Daly as herself, uh, Elizabeth Daly. She was the lead singer in the band. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Better up, Most Dad. well-known for playing Dottie in uh, PB's Big Adventure. Yes, and also for but the... she was also in Fast Le- Times. And she was also had a huge part in 
Valley Girl. Yes, yes. But she was a she was a, a music star. Like she she appeared as herself doing all this band stuff all the time. And she was awesome. She was great. Such a unique voice, singing and speaking. Yeah. Just a little cutie. Just a little mushed up cutie. She's like a Pomeranian. You know. Yeah. She's just yeah. adorable, and. Funny and fierce and uh, fantastic. She still shows up sometimes. I'll see her yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and she looks great and uh, she sounds great. And I wish she was in more stuff. <laughs> the hand-drawn animation in the movie was animated, but animated by Savage Steve Holland's collaborator Bill Cop, who would later work with him on One Crazy Summer and Eek the Cat. Eek. Yeah, Savage Steve Holland's actually just making cartoons now. Yeah, well, uh, and they're great. Yeah, yeah. The film's soundtrack was produced by Rupert Hine. Hine produced albums for artists including... Rush, Kevin Ayers, Tina Turner, Howard Jones, Saga, The Fix, Bob Geldof, Thompson Twins, Stevie Nicks, Chris DeBerg, Suzanne Vega, Underworld, Duncan Sheik, Formula, and Eleanor McAvoy. So Howard Jones, I saw him in concert. Yeah. Thompson Twins, I loved them. I saw them in concert. Oh, I bet they were good live. I bet Howard Jones was good live. Oh, Howard Jones was great. He was uh, all keyboards... Oh, he yeah. looked just like a nerd <laughs> with, like, 80 <laughs> keyboards in front of him. And yeah. we all, like – it was one of the first concerts I went to with my friends, just my friends. Mm-hmm. And we, like, had – we put Knox gelatin in our hair to give ourselves, oh, like, mohawks and, and <laughs> put eyeliner on and stuff. And we all looked crazy. And uh, But it was so much fun. Uh, I'd like to get to know you well. I'd like to get to know <laughs> you well. He's great. I love that he pops up all the time. So we can be one, we can be one together. Uh, so Heinz also recorded 11 albums, including those billed under his own name, the pseudo band name Think Man, and as a member of the band Quantum Jump. Quantum Jump! Uh, uh, yeah. Additionally, he composed for film and television soundtracks, including the end title song for the James Bond film Goldeneye. Goldeneye. I don't know how it goes. Uh, Howard even. Jones was on the soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Heinz passed away in 2020 due to renal cancer and heart arrhythmia. Ugh, F cancer, man. Yeah. It's taking all of our faves. Yeah. Uh, a number of songs that appear in the film do not appear on the CD soundtrack, including Howard Jones' Like to Get to Know You Well. Like to Get to Know You Well. Uh, Van Halen's Everybody Wants Some. Everybody Wants Some. Which has been stuck in my head since we watched the movie. Yeah. Uh, it was used for the Burger Man rock and roll claymation number. Uh, which Ow. somehow combines this is what I love about Savage Steve Holland that one scene it combines Frankenstein a burger claymation and Van Halen yeah and Porky's <laughs> and Porky's yeah it's so weird the whole thing is so weird uh, Neil Sedaka's Breaking Up is Hard to Do Breaking Up is Hard to Do Paul Simon's 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover 50 and <laughs> Ways to Leave Your Lover get on the bus Gus yeah have had a new plan stand Jimi Hendrix's Foxy Lady did not appear on the soundtrack either. Aww. I'm assuming all these just cost way too much money. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were able to do that back then. You could actually get songs and movies for right. cheaper if you don't put them on the soundtrack. Right. But right. really, honestly, why buy the soundtrack? All the good songs yeah, yeah. aren't on it. Right, uh, right. Agreed, agreed. Thumbs down for that soundtrack. Yep. One of the few films Siskel and Ebert featured on their show, they gave it two thumbs down. Ugh. Yeah, but they bypassed entirely in print publication in each of their respective Chicago newspapers. F them, man. I didn't like it. Why is the burger coming to life? I like to eat burgers, not to watch them on the screen coming to life. It seems so weird. It, yeah. it makes me really sad. I get I get Siskel. I'm really surprised Ebert didn't like it because yeah. it seems like his kind of humor. He usually has a soft spot for quirky 
you know, movies. But it's just like it was so interesting. I get it because it is hard to make a comedy about suicide, and he yeah. did it, and it is funny. And watching it again, it holds up. It is a great cult oh, comedy. So good, it totally holds up. And it is so fun to watch the origins of John Cusack's mm-hmm. comedy. You forget just how funny and unique he was. Yeah. And and these movies that we're doing this month are kind of his growth and progression through comedy and when he was just funny. And and he got this type of humor and it's such a young age. Like it's yeah. so Yeah. It's hard to do the kind of humor where you break the fourth wall or it's magical yeah. or or you know, it's it's grounded in reality but there's magical things happening. And to keep it like you're watching a real right, movie, right. it he does that in a way that I don't think any other young actor at the time was able to right, do right. as well. Maybe Michael yeah. J. Fox. I mean, Michael J. Fox was master, but it, yeah, but he was yeah. more like mainstream, likable. You know, mm-hmm. Cusack was kind of the outsider. Cusack yeah. was kind of like the the guy that's sitting in the back of the room making jokes with his friends, right? While you know, Michael J. Fox is the guy up front, you know, doing impersonations for everybody, right? Right. And that's the kind of I like the Q. I was the Cusack kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I didn't I want that. to be class clown. I wanted to be the guy making fun of the class clown. Right. Right. And that's the that's. That's the Cusack way. That's the Cusack way. If you haven't seen it, watch it. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's definitely worth your time. If you love comedy, if you like John Cusack, if you like animation, if you like eighties <laughs> tunes and skiing, it's, it's got everything eighties. So great. It's got skiing. It's got <laughs> drugs. It's got. Uh... <laughs> I love. I love Charles Demar snorting Jello. <laughs> this mountain. <laughs> It's pure <laughs> snow. 100% pure snow. Do you know the street value of this mountain? <laughs> it's so stupid. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's just so much to love about it. There's so many goofy parts. and So much weirdness. And it and all so comes good. together. And, again, you know, the, the whole bit with the French foreign exchange student and – and then becoming friends. And it's all very it's, cliched now. That's the amazing thing in this movie, mm. is that in this movie about him wanting to kill himself because of his girlfriend, there is actually a really good romantic comedy. Exactly. And and it it, it wor- it's so natural and organic, the uh-huh. way they get together and they hang out. And, like, you could tell they had chemistry. It's one of those – it's one of the first, like, quirky friendship to romance, you know. You get, you get rid of the pretty girl for the cute girl. Right. You know, that became – it became cliched. I mean, it, yeah. every yeah. other movie after yeah. this had the same story, you know? Yeah. Even, look, I love One Crazy Summer, but you replace skiing with a regatta, <laughs> and it's the same damn movie. Same I mean, let's movie. be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's got yeah. a lot of the same cast. Uh, but uh, there is a place in cinema history for Savage Steve Holland and his movies. Oh, hell yes. A lot of things today are 100% uh homage or oh yeah he inspired a lot of filmmakers oh yeah yeah a lot and uh his kind of quirky comedy became a lot more mainstream and he was the guy that kind of broke the barrier mm-hmm. with that you know these were weird movies they didn't yeah. do great at the box office like you said our a-hole buddies cisco <laughs> and jerk face didn't like it you know it didn't do well i found it on video i think i saw it in the theater and just adored it because yeah. everything that i loved was in it yeah animation van halen i'm much of a skier but you know all but of that yeah. stuff you know and especially like you know getting your heart broken 
and you know and falling in you know it's just it was perfect for me at the time yeah and that's why it's going to always be one of my favorites it was on cable tv so much when between when i was between the ages like 10 and 14 that when i was young enough to watch it i always felt like i was watching something i shouldn't be Mm -hmm. and it was like this like ooh, ooh, it's this like weird thing that like i shouldn't be watching but it's so good and like it's so funny and such a great funny film that you know when it was playing on showtime or whatever Mm -hmm. whatever place you popped in yes it was worth watching because it was like a bunch of little short films that that you would come you would together. you would know you were at a certain point and be sad that you missed the stuff yes, that happened beforehand exactly. because you're like, well, I guess I'll just pay attention next time uh, it's on. It's on and it's on again in two, <laughs> in two hours, hours, so I'll just have to wait. I do want to remind you that Savage Steve Holland did all this when he was like 27. Uh, like he was so young yeah. when he did all this, and and it is brilliant. No one gives him enough credit. No. He did all this when he was no. so young. No, and and again. These stories are so good. And it also, I mean, look at the actors that he found, too. Yeah. He, one of Demi, Demi Moore's first movies yeah, yeah. Where it was with him. And then John Cusack, of course. Yeah. You know, He had been established, but this is what you know, led to him doing, like, say anything in more mainstream comedies. Right, right. You know, because people he really— could, He yeah. could be a leading man. Like, exactly. he proved it in this movie. Yeah. As much as he hated it at the time, <laughs> because he's a little whiny. Yeah. But— yeah. Uh, I didn't hate it at the time, John. I loved it. Same, same, man. I it made me a Cusack fan. And and because of this movie and One Crazy Summer and and I was gonna say do the right thing, <laughs> <laughs> do the right thing, John Cusack's tour de force performance <laughs> in Spike Lee's masterpiece. No, uh, say anything, say anything. Yeah, uh, you know I will always love John Cusack. Yeah. I'm always yeah. going to. Love him, and I will watch him in anything. I just I recently watched he and Nick Cage in this horrible serial killer movie where he was playing. It was like a real story about the serial killer in Alaska who used to capture women and hunt them. Oh wow, such a great story! Yeah, I mean horrifying because it's real and right, right. the victims. I feel you know sure horribly for it, but in terms of like you know a serial Dramatic killer movie. story, yeah, yeah. should have been really awesome. And you have Nick Cage and John Cusack, yeah. Two fantastic just, actors. Yeah, the director was just, going to waste He them. didn't. you got to have a strong personality to be able to direct John Cusack and Nicolas Cage. Still watchable because of those actors. Right. But, you know, it's like a bad TV movie. Ugh, that's too bad. The Execution. Well, we will be back next week with a much better than a bad TV movie. Oh, yeah. With uh, tape heads. Uh, most of you, I bet, don't even know this movie existed. i got to be honest, I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh, it's so good. It'll be fun. Yeah. But that's all we have for today. Hey, I'm the Fods. Come back next time. We'll be back. <laughs> I went into the garage and put an extension cord on a pipe, and I'm on a garage. Just slow down a little bit. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, The Bionic Woman, already in progress. Thank you.